I cannot think of a better day to uh, share a sermon on generosity than that on Mother's Day. I think we've all been touched, uh, at least most of all of us, have been touched by the generosity of a mother. Uh, you, you, you can always look, I believe, many times at a picture of the love that Christ has for us for that of a mother holding a newborn child and all the anticipation and all the potential that rests in that child and that mother so acquainted with, with what she's just given birth to. And it's interesting that on Mother's Day that we come today to, to not only celebrate mothers but also to celebrate what God has done. And we see so much of what he has done and, and what he desires to do. And there's so much more than we can ever imagine that he wants to do in and through us. So if you will, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now many of you know that we are working our way through something that we call kingdom culture. And it is a culture that we're trying to create here at Putnam uh, that centers around the the three themes that we believe God has called us to biblically. That's to love God, connect with others, and reach the world. And, of course, we're trying to create this culture, and you can see them there on your outline. There's eight of them there, and today we're on part two of Generosity is Common. So if you will, look on your outline, look just below generosity is common, and I'm going to read to you uh, just this whole idea of what we're trying to create here at Putnam. We are recipients of the greatest gift the world has ever known, the gift of Jesus Christ, that brings about life, grace, mercy, and freedom, yet no cost to us, yet the highest cost to Him. And what's so interesting is we just sung about that. That love, that generosity he has for us. Because we've been freely given all of this, our only right response is to freely give ourselves. Therefore, giving out of obligation is the wrong response and unbiblical. Giving is a part of our worship. Our response is not to calculate how little we can give in return, but to realize that we are mere managers of all that he's entrusted us. Generosity is not about our wealth as much as it is about our hearts And our confidence in God. Now, part of God's plan for your life is for you to understand what he desires for the resources that he's entrusted you with. I think so many times we get so busy in life and we're just responding to everything and we're just trying to to get through everything. How many of you can relate to that? Yeah, we're trying to do that. And, And many times we don't sit back and think, okay, now what is God up to? What does he desire in and through my life? This gift that's been given to me, this, these resources I've been trusted with, the, these children, these grandchildren I've been entrusted with, what does God desire of me to give through these, uh, through these uh, avenues? Now, here's really where it comes down to. What should be the relationship between our faith and our finances? Or how does God expect us to use our finances? Now, last week, we looked at some of these. So if you look on your outline, some of your uh, lines are filled in. I've, I helped you out there. But I want us to look at the particulars of giving. We, we looked at these last week. I just want to run through them quickly. Uh, what are the particulars of giving? It, it proves the authenticity of your faith. When you give, when you have the heart of a giver, there's a lot of authenticity that is revealed about your faith. Next, it provides accountability for your finances. When we give, it's not, we're not just making a life for ourselves. We're attempting to help someone get through their life. Thirdly, it provides an abundance for your family. 
God's word says that he will provide those things that you need if you have the heart of a giver. And then we come to the principles of giving. You must decide the amount God desires you to give. Now, here's what's ironic about all that. The Bible tells us what he desires of us. It's very clear in Scripture. There are clearly 23 verses in the Bible that deal with money or possessions. I told you this last week. That is twice as many as deal with faith and prayer combined. 15%. Now, this is amazing. 15% of everything that Jesus said had to do with money or possessions. Why is that? Here's why. Because how people view their resources, their money, is a barometer of their spiritual condition. It's not, it's not based on all that they have. It's how they view what they have. And so therefore, and we're going to see that clearly in just a moment. Therefore, God, listen, puts his commands in place, even when it comes to our giving, to provide for us and to protect us. Let me just say this. Did you know that, that there are things that, that we receive that we think are blessings that can actually turn out to be curses? Did you know there's things that can come into our lives that, can, that, 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 that are not there to protect us but to get us in all kinds of trouble? And I think all of us are living testimonies that that can happen. And so therefore, when it comes to those things God has placed in your life, we need to be very careful that we receive insight from His Word as to how we are to care for those things and how we are to be stewards of those things. So, here's something to think about. How much do we give? What is God talking about? Well, according to Malachi chapter 3, a tithe, and it mentions that, literally means a tenth of one's income. Now, let me just say this about my personal giving and the giving that I talk about to many people one-on-one or in crowds or whatever. Let me, let me just say this. I believe that's where giving begins when it comes to God, when it comes to what he's desiring of us. So, so now I want us to look at the win of giving. Look at this verse here on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper. Now notice the timing of this, the first day of the week. This verse not only tells us the win of giving, but also the priority of giving. Giving to God, listen, is not determined by what is left over, but by what is given in the first place. It's not one of these things where we, we pay all our bills and we make sure that the, the, all these things are done and everything that we want to do. And it's, it's not one of those things where we say, oh, well, look at what's left. We'll give that to God. Based on this verse, where does it come from? It starts there. The giving starts there. And I don't care if you're talking about giving to a local church, to a charity, to, to those in need around you. The giving begins with God and his generosity and what he's blessed you with. So, here's some things to keep in mind. When you, keep, when you give, look on your outline, keep in mind sowing relates to reaping. I think every one of us who have been Christians any length of time know that that verse is in the Bible. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says this, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. There's a connection. There's a connection in what I give of myself, what I give of my resources. And it's that whole idea that God does desire to bless us. And here's the real point of it all. You can't outgive God. Did you know that? You can't outgive him. 
Now, again, it's not about prosperity preaching. It's not about, okay, you give the dollars. There's $10 coming your way. It has nothing to do with what you hear on many TV channels. It has everything to do with God just wants simple obedience. God just wants the simplicity of your heart. He wants us to be generous as he is generous. As you you give, keep in mind, look on your outline, God owns everything you own. Have you ever thought about it from that perspective? When you start thinking about it from that perspective, boy, the stakes really go up higher, don't they? When you realize that everything God owns, everything you have, he owns, he's the rightful owner of those things, it it, it really changes things. Some of you are probably sitting there saying, now, wait a minute, I've earned those things. I've worked hard for those things. I've gone out of my way to make sure those things are in my life. I, I, what do you mean everything belongs to him? Well, who gave you the air in your lungs and the, the beat of your heart to get those things done? He gave you those things. And the thing that we need to understand in Job chapter 41, like I shared with you last week, God tells Job, listen to what he says, everything under heaven belongs to me. Job was having a pity party. How many of you remember it? And and listen, if any man deserved to have a pity party in Scripture, it was Job. He lost everything. And all of a sudden, he's having this talk with God. And he's almost challenging God in places. And God basically says, now let me set everything straight here, Job. I own it all. I'll do with it as I please. How many of you, that's just hard to understand sometimes? It is. I don't know what you went through this week. I don't know what your year's been like. I I don't know all the different things. But the thing you need to understand is that the resources he's given you, the time that he's given you, all these things that he has given you, he's given those things to you for a purpose. And those things are really his. Therefore, we are mere managers and stewards of the possessions he's entrusted us with. So the question is not how much of my money should I give, but how much of my money should uh, should, should I keep for myself? And that's a whole different perspective of what the world's telling us. whole different perspective of how many of us live our lives. A second principle on giving, you must give from the heart. And again, I shared some of this last week. But 2 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Now think about that. It doesn't say give as a purposes in his mind. How many of you have realized that there's times that, that you've given and it made no sense on paper? No sense in your mind, but you just obediently gave what God told you to give. And it worked out somehow. And you're sitting there and you're trying to figure out. You'll never figure out God. You'll never in your right mind get your mind around everything that God has for you. So therefore, how do we respond? We respond from the heart. We give from the heart. There's something there, that small voice, that, that, that thing that you're being led to do. You just kind of reach out with it. It may not make sense, but guess what? God will bless it. The why of giving. Here, here you go. Giving, look on your outline, is an act of worship. We stood here this morning. We sang. I don't know about you, but I'm having allergy issues this time of year. And, and I tell you, it's annoying. How many of you agree with that? And then I'm standing over there, and I'm getting ready to come up here and and uh, speak, and my voice is giving out singing this song. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, well, I'm just worshiping God. But it's so much more than the lyrics we sing. Our giving is an act of worship. Giving, not only giving our praises of our, our, our voices of praise, but also giving of those things God's placed in our life. Next, 
giving should be done sacrificially and generously. The Macedonians mentioned in, by Paul in chapter 8 of this same book or letter gave, as Paul described, from extreme poverty. I think I shared this with you last week. They gave beyond their means. There was a need. They saw it out there. Something moved. Listen, in their minds, I'm sure every one of them, it did not make sense, but their heart led them to give to the cause that was put before them. Let me say this, and we saw it in the video. A recent Gallup poll shows that the more money Americans make, the less sacrificial they are when it comes to giving and generosity. How many of you, that's amazing to think about, isn't it? You would think that the more you would have. Like I said last week, how many of you have made deals with God? God, if, if, if you would just bless me with this, I'm, I'm just going to lay it out. I'm going to give half of everything. I. <laughs> you, ever, you ever made those kind of deals? Remember years ago, and I kid about this all the time, Lord, just let Ed McMahon show up on the porch. Lord, just, just Reader's Digest, $5,000 a week. Boy, that sounds awful good. I won't go into the lottery, you heathens. But anyway, uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I guess what I'm trying to say is giving has a special place in the heart of God. It's not only, listen, it's not only His giving, but it's special to Him when we give, when we give of our hearts. Giving, look on your outline, out of love, not out of obligation. Verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says, Giving not grudgingly or necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I shared this with you last week. There's three types of giving. There's grudge giving where I have to give. There's duty giving where I ought to give. There's praise giving where I want to give. Now let me just give you a word of personal testimony. I've given to God... With all three of these in mind at time, at one time or another. I have. I'm, I'm just going to confess it to you. There's times where I wrote the check to the church or get to, the church, uh, to, to the need God had put on my heart. And I gave and I was like, well, I guess I better give this. Hate to see the tires go bad this week. Or <laughs> we think God's going to wham, you know. But, but the thing is this, God loves a cheerful giver. And that leads us to the next one. God should will, giving should be willingly and cheerfully. Verse 7, for God loves that cheerful giver. It's the one, you remember like I said last week, it's the one that's not writing the check to the IRS or, or to, for the light bill. It's something in which we're showing our praise and our worship and we're presenting it to him. That's the kind of giving that he desires of us. And then we come to this next part, the promises of giving. And here's what we understand from Scripture. God will meet the needs of you, the giver. He'll meet your needs. And, and here's the first one. Generous giving results in bountiful blessing. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now listen, this is not me making this up. This is not me standing up here saying uh, God gives a dollar for a dollar or, or a dollar for ten or whatever. It's not that. I'm reading to you what God's Word says. Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Now, the word grace there, it's amazing how we sing about amazing grace. We, we sang about grace this morning. Do you know what grace is? Many of us don't even really get our minds around what the whole idea of grace is. Grace is God's charitable act towards us. His charity towards us. 
And here's what it says. And God is able to make all his charitable assets he has abound towards you. That you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. God wants to bless you in such a way that that you're not only taking care of the necessities in your own life. But you are able to help take care of others. For the causes of others. For the needs of others. For the causes of the church. For the mission of the church. That we can meet those needs. And so therefore, there's some of you who are sitting here today and here's what you're thinking. There never seems to be enough money. There never seems to be enough money. Listen, I've been there. I've been there where I finally got the whole act of, of tithing and, and realizing what God expected of me. And I'm, I'm sitting there writing the check and thinking, boy, I hope this doesn't bounce. <laughs> boy, I hope this makes it <laughs> I've been there, y'all. But I knew I had to give, and I'd give. And, 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 and listen, I can't explain it, but somehow it just works. Gary and I were talking about that the other day. It just works. It makes no sense at times, but it works. Now, here's what's interesting. God may bless you in so many different ways. How many of you have been blessed in so many different ways? We have. So it's not just... The dollar for the dollar or the dollar for the ten. God blesses us in many ways. There's new victories in different areas of our life. There's success in our business or ministry. There's a greater anointing that comes with our life. If we'll just obediently give a greater awareness of who he is. Some rewards, I'm convinced, as I said last week, will only be realized in heaven. I think that's going to be part of the greatness of heaven. Just to see, for us to see and and for it all to be rolled back. Because, y'all, there's been so many times walking through this life in which God has placed something on my life to do that I have still to this day do not understand why he told me to do that. Have you ever been there? You ever been there? And it's like, God, he just wants you to trust him. But you know what I think heaven's going to be a lot about? Hey, Brian, come here. I want to show you something. See that right there? See right there when it didn't make any sense whatsoever? Look at how I used that. Y'all, I think that's part of what heaven's going to be about. Just seeing what simple obedience produced, what sacrifice produced from our lives, what generosity produced from our lives. It's just not about money. It's our time. It's the investment we make in others and all those things. And God's going to say, hey, come here. Let me show you something. I want to show you how I use that simple act of obedience, that, that, that sacrifice that you made to, to do what I called you to do. I want to show you where it led. I'm convinced heaven is going to be a lot about that. Next, giving reflects faith in God's, prompt, in God's provision. Verse 9, as it is written, he is dispersed abroad. He is given to the poor. Now, this is a reference to God. Paul is talking about that. It's actually an Old Testament reference. It says he is dispersed abroad. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown. You know what he's talking about there? The very things that you've been given, he's given you those things. He wants you to plant it as seed that it can produce fruit. And it's not so much that you get the credit or you get all the glory, but he gets all the glory. And he's, guess what? He's doing it through your life. He desires to do it through our lives. 
And he says, he'll, he'll supply the seed. He'll multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving and through us to God, which means people will rise up and say, may God be blessed in this. Hold your place here. Turn to Luke chapter 18. I'm going to share with you the actual story that I introduced last week. But hold your place here. Turn to Luke 18. Now think of this as, as you turn. Proper stewardship of our finances is a major test of our spiritual condition. Our money, our possessions follow our hearts. Our giving reflects our faith. These verses that we just read show us giving reflects faith in God's provision. It's us stepping out in faith. It's God providing as a result. And there's two examples in Scripture where Jesus observed two different people. And there's two different outcomes. I want you to look at Luke 18, verse 18. We're going to look at the story of the rich young ruler. How many of you remember his story? You remember hearing about this? Look at verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? How many of you would say that's a great question? Great question, especially directed to the one who can grant eternal life. Great question. Couldn't ask a better question. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. And then he goes on. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the rich young ruler said this, all these things I've kept from my youth. You know what I think was going on in his heart and his mind? He was sitting there thinking, he, he was hoping that would be good enough. He was hoping that that would somehow measure up to what it meant to have eternal life. But look at, the, look at what happened. And he said, as he said, all these things I kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. There's one thing that's missing. There's one thing that needs to be corrected. Now think about that. Think about the time you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Here's what's interesting. Many of us, it was just a simple act of faith. We heard the need. We knew we needed to admit our sins uh, to Him. We needed to repent of our sins. And, and all of a sudden, we put that in action. And by faith, we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, believing He was the provision of sin. And we went on and we lived as God desired us to live. But how many of you, as you made that decision, you came to realize maybe a year later or two years later that there were things in your life that needed to be addressed in your life but you didn't really see it initially. Can I tell you the benefit of the rich young ruler standing there face to face with Jesus who is who? The son of God. The one who could see right into his heart. He could see. He could look at his heart. He could literally see what was going to be his greatest threat to eternal life. And he looks at this man. He said, let me just tell you this. There's one thing that's keeping you from eternal life. There's one thing. He says, Jesus said this. Here's how you can fix it. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. He, he didn't say sell all you have, empty the bank account, bring it to me and we'll see what happens. Didn't say that, did he? It had nothing to do with Jesus necessarily. But here's one thing you need to understand. Jesus didn't ask every rich man to do this. Or every rich person to do this. He didn't. 
But Jesus had something we don't have. He could see the heart of that man. He knew that as long as those riches were in his life, he would never view them properly. He knew this was going to keep him from eternal life. And he had to get rid of this to, to live the life that God had called him to live. But let me show you what happened. Look at what happened. But when the rich man heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was rich. I mean, he had a lot to give up to come on these terms. And so you, you may be sitting there today and you may be saying, you mean to tell me i got to empty the bank account? i got to sell the house, sell the kids? And the, no, not the kids, but you mean to tell me that's what is going to be required of me? The only way I can say this is because I'm reading the scripture. It could be, but probably not likely. Because Jesus was able to see into this man's heart and he knew as long as this was in play, he could never fully give himself to him. That was a problem. Let me just say this. Do you realize that every American is rich? Some of you are sitting here thinking, you obviously haven't seen the checkbook at my house. Listen, I've traveled the country. I've been around. I've been in third world countries. I'm just here to tell you, if you got shelter, you got fresh, clean, uh, fresh water, you got a change of clothes, you're not thinking about where the next meal's coming from. Let me just tell you, if you have all that in place, you're very rich to the world's standards. And we need to pay careful attention to what God has placed in our lives to see what God desires of those things. We need to pay attention. And then we have this other story. Hold your place in Corinthians. Turn over to Mark 12 real quick. You, you're going, you probably already know who, the, who it's about. We go from the rich young ruler to the widow. The widow. You remember the widow? Here, here's what it says in verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury. Now the treasury was right there as you go into the temple. It would have been right there in the main entrance where anyone who went into the temple. Now, Jews could go into some of the inner court places. The priests could go into the really inner court places. But this was put there even where the women could walk through, the Gentiles could walk through. And, here, and, and you had these, these trumpet-looking openings, and you'd throw the money, your offering in there. And so he was sitting opposite of that. And listen to what the, listen to what the word says. And saw the people... And, excuse me, and saw how the people put money in the treasury. Now, when it says he saw how, he wasn't sitting there thinking, I wonder how this thing works. Oh, they just throw it in there. That is pretty cool. That's not what he was talking about when it said how. How meant he could see their heart. He saw what was going on as they placed that money there. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites which may equal a cent. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. He, he, he waves to his disciples and says, Come here, I want, you to show you, I want to show you something. This is not the way the world sees this. This is not the way, but this is how God the Father sees this. I'm seeing this. I want you to come see this. Lady barely gave a penny. And Jesus said, She gave more than all of them then. He goes on. He says in verse 44, he's talking about the ones who came before who were rich. For they all put in out of their abundance. Can I give you a paraphrase of what that means? They gave what they would never miss. It didn't really cost them anything to give what they gave. 
Might have been $1,000, might have been $10,000. They had so much, they'd never miss it. Think about that. Is that the way you worship the God who saved your life? Is that the way you worship the one who, who died for your sins, the one who promises you eternity? Is that the way you give? You give like, well, they'll never miss this. But she, out of her poverty, this is an interesting statement. It means she gave extravagantly. She gave extravagantly. Put it in all that she had. Now, this is Jesus sizing it up. Her whole livelihood. He knew her condition. She gave her all. <laughs> That's what he's asking. Five levels of giving. I gave you these last week. I want to give them to you one more time. I rushed through it. Here it is. Five levels of giving. Well, there's first of all, not giving. I've been there. Not proud of it. I've been there. Didn't give. Christian, love God, love Jesus, came to worship Him, just like we did this morning, and, and uh, just so tickled about who God was in my life, so glad for eternal life, didn't give a thing. I've been there. Token giving. Token giving is where you probably are giving what's left after all the bills are paid. You feel a little bad because you came for the free show and, and uh, probably need to give a little something. Boy, them people are singing their heart out up there. That poor guy up there talking, he talked for a long time. But let me tell you, he, he can tell you worked at it. Here's a 10. I appreciate that. It ain't mine. You're not giving to me. You're not giving to these group of people. You're not even really giving to this church. You're giving to the causes of Christ. And we're trying our best to figure out what those causes are and trying to give to those things that he's laid on the hearts of the leadership of this church. And so there's token giving. There's obedient giving. I was so tickled when I got to that level of giving in my life. The tithe. I think I've told you this. One of the first Sundays when it really started coming together. If I could have done what I wanted to that particular Sunday. When that offering plate went by. I would go, Bam! I was so tickled. That we'd gotten to the point where we could just give obediently. But it doesn't stop there. There's offering giving. What does the Bible say a lot? Tithes and offerings. Done that. That'll bless you. And let me just tell you how I do it. I think I shared this with you last week. I believe in storehouse giving. I believe giving to the church for the local ministry. If I'm a part of the local ministry and I believe in what God's doing through that church, I want to give. And so I give, and I give obediently, and I'm trusting the leadership to hear from God. But, but then there's a, the offering giving, and here's what I do with that. I, I sometimes will put back some money, and if there's some special needs in the church, I'll give to that. Or if there's a special need of someone in my community or in my neighborhood or whatever, I'll give to that. And that's a great way of giving. But then there's something called sacrificial giving. That's where you really dig deep. That's where it really does hurt to give. How many of you have been where token giving was hurting to give? You ever been there? I've been there too. I've covered every one of these, by the way. Each level reveals a level of our faith and trust in God. But here's the, here's the interesting thing. When God started dealing with me in this area of obedient giving, let me tell you where I started. I, I, some of you heard my testimony before. I started, I think I started with maybe 3%. 
And I said, Lord, I want to work my way to obedience. I want to be what you've told me to be. I want to give obediently. I'm in a lot of debt because I've school loans and all these things have come my way. And I'm really trying hard here, God. And and I really want it to be right. So I started with 3%. Then I went to, my family and I went to 5%. And then before I know it, I mean, it was in no time. We were there. It didn't take over a year. I still had a lot of things calling for the money. (laughs) But it was amazing once I took that step, how God started providing in such a way that I could get to that point. So does your giving reflect your faith? Does your faith reflect your giving? I got a letter from this past week uh, from a longtime member. And uh, I asked her if I could share this story. And and it's very interesting. Uh, I promise to keep it anonymous. But listen to this. Not long after I became a new Christian, I saw tithing firsthand and started to do so also. I felt like it was the one thing that I could do 100% for the Lord. Just being obedient and giving, the tithe. My husband also shared my thoughts on tithing. So So we did write checks to the church. And sometimes when we were absent, we didn't necessarily make up from the week here and a week there. So about a year or so after, someone told me that they did a bank draft to the church. I thought that would be an awesome way to assure our commitment. What I do is at the start of the new year, I figure out our total income for the previous year and make sure our giving is not less than it should be. However, if I look at it, And if we are over the amount, I just continue doing the same amount because if we are over, it's a blessing from the Lord. Now, on the part of giving, many years ago when Larry Morris was pastor, a need arose here at the church, and I believe God was directing us to give to this need. Believing that God was leading us in this, my my parents had given me a plot of land in my hometown in Florida. So I sold it, gave the entire amount to the church for the project. The next time I saw God working through my giving was when the church added extra seating in the old sanctuary. How many of you were around when that happened? Yeah, there was a lot of you that were here. On a Sunday evening when the deacons asked for a pledge, I pledged $25 a week, which I knew I did not have in my budget to do so. How many of you have ever done something like that? Yeah, that's when God... I feel you leading this, laying on my heart, but you're going to have to make it work. Listen to this. She continues to write, I cry when I think about it, about this. It was such a huge experience for me. The very next day I went to work and my boss walked into my office and told me that he was giving me, listen to this, a $25 per week raise. How many of you know that that's just God showing off? That's just God showing off. There have been so many times in my life as a Christian that I have seen God work and bless me so clearly. Times that he moved in a way that the world and even myself would never see as a blessing. But when I look back at it, it was so huge. What are you seeing there in that letter? You're seeing faith in action. You're seeing, I'm going to lay it out there and God, you're going to have to bless it. I know you led me to do it. Wow. Next, the giver will meet the needs of others. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints. So, so, so it's going to not only supply our needs, it's going to supply others. Look at, look at your outline. Giving is an appropriate, appropriate response to real needs. And so what you have here is Paul is basically 
this whole question of who's going to help those in Jerusalem. All these people were gathered in Jerusalem. Uh, revival broke out. Pentecost happened. Thousands of people were coming to know Christ. No one wanted to leave. They were being discipled. And guess what? There wasn't enough food. The, people, the, the church in Jerusalem had exhausted everything they had. And now there was this, uh, this offering being taken up and, and all, of it, all of it came together. So we're responding to needs when God lays it on our heart. Next, giving should be intentional and systematic. The Bible calls it that way. Giving, listen, must be planned. <laughs> Dave Ramsey, you ever heard of him? Listen to what he said. One of the first things when I took the course... Um, that really sparked something in me. If you don't tell your money where to go, it just goes. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? If you don't tell your money where to go, it just goes. There's three categories, three categories that, that I think you need to look at when it comes to your budgeting. Giving, tithes and offerings, 10 to 15%. Saving. About everyone you hear says you need to save at least 15% of your income. About everyone you hear writes for future retirement, for kids in college, whatever it is. Living, just learning to live off 70 to 75% of what we have. How many of you would say that that would take tremendous discipline to be able to do that? That is a discipline God wants in our lives, I'm convinced. Because it's amazing how much, it seems like the more we make, how many of you figured this out? The more we make, the more we need. You know why? Here's one reason why. Because we go to the bank. And we basically could say, how much house can I afford? Bank tabulates and does this and does that. And says, okay, this is what your monthly payment can be. This is what you can afford. So what do we do? Sounds good to me. Let's do it. We go to the car dealership. We find out uh, what we think we can afford. And all of a sudden, we, we think, we, oh, we, we can afford this. You might even have the financial person there telling you, oh, yeah, yeah, this will be easy for you to work out. Did you know none of those people consider giving as a priority that's giving you this advice? And all of a sudden, you walk back, and you're sitting there, and you're like, where am I going to generate giving from? You know why? Because we always raise our level of lifestyle with, with what we make, don't we? And sometimes we miss the biggest blessings because we do. And, and so here's what Dave Ramsey recommends and others. Something called zero-based budgeting. It's basically at the end of your budget, everything reads zero. And you tell your money where to go. And let me tell you biblically where it starts. Giving to the causes of God. That's where it starts. On the first day of the week. It's not only when, it's setting the priority. It starts there. If it doesn't start there, I'm just here to tell you, you probably won't give like you're supposed to. I've tried that myself. But until I started writing that check first, and started, uh, and when I started doing that right and getting that right, guess what? Everything else started falling in place. Next, the receiver will praise God and pray for the giver. I hope you'll take the time. I don't have time to do this, but read the second part of verse 12 down to 14. You'll see what I'm talking about. But here's the application this morning. Your generosity is giving, in giving has many benefits. Here's the takeaway I want you to take from this morning. Number one, giving draws you closer to God. Listen, the person who wrote that letter this morning, she actively saw God working through her faith. 
You, you see what I'm talking about? Actively. How many of you, it's been a long time since you've seen that? It's been a long time since you saw God's hand just in your life and you saw him working so clearly. You know why many of us don't? Because we get so caught up in the busyness and responding to everything that we don't live our lives intentionally and systematically to a point where we can say, you know something, God, over here, I, I don't know what to do with this. What do you think I need to do with this? And all of a sudden, there's a need that's there, and you begin to give, and sometimes it's bigger than you can give, and you give anyway. And I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about investing in someone else's life. The Bible says, for where your treasure is, there's where your heart will be also. Number two, giving strengthens your faith. There's definitely a connection between faith and finances. Malachi chapter 3, here it is. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then, this is really the only time that you see where God says, test me in this, try me in this. Here's what he says. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there won't be enough room to contain and receive it all. Next, giving blesses you in return. Let me say this. Not all the time. But you know what I found out about this? And I, I, I discovered it in my own life first before I saw it in anyone else's life. So please, when I say this, I'm, I'm saying it as delicately as I know how. A lot of times, the most depressing times in my life have been when I became me-centered when everything in my life, every decision that I made was all about me, my conveniences, my comforts. Did you know we weren't wired to be that way? We were wired, especially children of God. We, were, we are wired to be generous. We are wired to give of ourselves. And when I start making all my time about me and my wants and my desires and, and my money about me, my wants and my desires and my thought life about me and my and want, every time for me, when I've gone through periods of my life like that, can I tell you, I've been very depressed. A lot of times my pity parties are born out of the fact, a lot, I'm, I'm just being honest confession, are born out of the fact that, that sometimes I don't have what someone else may have. And it just sets me back. You know, while we're driven in a society that says you've got to have more to be happy, you need more to be happy. 2000, I mean, it, it goes on and on and on. Next, blessing. I done told you that one. Here we go. Uh, giving is the antidote to materialism. Advertisers tell us that we can buy happiness. You can't. Well, maybe you can for a little while. But guess what? That car eventually gets scratched if you park it at Walmart. <laughs> well, I'll move on. <laughs> I love this quote. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. That should be in the Bible. And it probably is in a, in a different way. Giving is an investment for eternity. It says this, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let them do good that they be rich in every good work. Ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. That they are living, listen, this whole verse says, live with eternity in mind. 
And when I think about eternity, it's how I started this sermon. I can't imagine how heaven's going to be with all the descriptions we have. But one thing that I know will be true is how God says, let me show you how I use this, your, this act of obedience in your life. Let me show you over here when you gave sacrificially what really came of that. Y'all, we got to start living with eternity in mind. And then giving makes you more like God. How many of you love this verse? For God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? Listen, his most prized possession. His most prized possession. His son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Second Peter 1 4. You may be part that you may be partakers of the divine nature. Let me tell you this. Did you know that we are called to, to take on God's divine nature? You say, is that that's got to be impossible? No, it isn't. Can I tell you where it begins? It begins with generosity. Giving of yourself. You're never more like God than when you give. We are made to be partakers of the divine nature, receiving and sharing God's own nature, uh, own nature. Listen to this. We are then called to replace our human nature. Once we now come to know Christ, we're called to replace our human nature with his divine nature. That's where the Bible says we become Christ-like. Christ-like. Can I tell you where it began for me? When I started seeing some of the changes in my own life, when I learned to become generous, when I learned to give of myself. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, Paul closes this section out like this. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You know what Paul said? I've explained to you the principles are given. I've explained to you the promises are given. But let me tell you the greatest gift ever. Jesus. Jesus. And y'all, it's the greatest gift that could ever be given to you that you can have eternal life. By coming to Jesus on God's terms, by repenting of your sins, turn your faith over to him. That's the greatest need in the room. But maybe you're a Christian and you're here today and you're like, man, I tell you, I, I don't know. You're, you're talking about a lot of stuff here. I am. But have I proven to you that every bit of it comes right out of his word? And let me, let me just put this before you. If you've, if you've told God, I'm going to build my life on you, God. I, I trust you. I want to have eternity in mind. God, I'm just, I'm just leaning on you. You know what you're literally saying? I want to build my life on your word. And all morning, and last Sunday morning, it came straight out of his word. So if you want a prescription for giving the way God tells us to give, I've given it to you. I don't know how else to say it, but this is what God's all about. All right? I'm going to ask ushers to come forward if they would. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we just come to you right now, and we thank you for your blessings. And, Lord, I know a sermon like this can be very challenging. I remember many years ago sitting in a sermon like this and feeling so convicted and feeling so bad about the fact I couldn't give or I didn't see that I could give. And, and Father, I just pray for those that are hit, sitting here today that they don't leave here defeated, but Lord, they would leave here with hope, realizing that you want to bless them, realizing that you want the best for them, that your commands are there to protect them against materialism, to protect them against depression when they make their life all about themselves. But it's there to protect, but it's also there to provide. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to understand what you desire of us. 
Father, for this church, as we pastors and deacons and those who make decisions about the finances around this place, Lord, that we, we would be good stewards of, uh, of those uh, gifts that you motivate on the hearts of the people sitting here today to give, Lord, that we won't give out of, out of, out of our own needs or out of our own agendas, but, Lord, that we would seek your agenda and give accordingly, Father. Help us be the church that walks step in step with you, whether it's in our giving or discipleship, whatever it may be. Help us to be faithful to what you call us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.